Thank you for joining us here at Revolution 22. We are a church in downtown Boise, Idaho. As we learn from God's word in Philemon, we pray that his word would be received and would bear fruit in your life. Please be seated. Good morning. I'm glad that you could all join us this morning for our Sunday morning service. I'm Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors here at Revolution 22. So about a month or so ago, Pastor Brian came to me and said, Hey, Jonathan, could you teach from this passage? So I uh, took note of the text that he sent me. I copied and pasted the text in my notes app on my phone and spent about a month looking into it to read it and to meditate on it to see how God's going to convict my heart for this passage. And about a week or so ago, I realized that I had the wrong passage the whole time. And uh, so I have a sermon prepared for you from Philippians chapter 1, verses 4 to 7, and also from Philemon 2. So uh, I have a sermon that's prepared out of a place of calmness and quietness and meditation for the Lord, and one that's, God, help me, what do I do now? Okay, so that's Philemon this morning. So we are in Philemon chapter 1, there's only one chapter in, the, in this book, and verses 4 through 7. So if you were here a couple of weeks ago, we heard Danny teach on the first three verses of this book and kind of showing us the big picture as to what is happening in this passage. We're going to dive into verses 4 through 7 this morning and look at what we can learn from the scripture this morning. So I'm going to read verses 4 through 7. So, join, so if you can, open your Bibles to Philemon 1, 4 to 7. It says, I thank my God. This is Paul talking about Philemon. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Amen. And I want, I want to remind us once again as to what is happening here. What's the background of the story that's happening here? So here is Paul sending Onesimus, who is a slave, who is a runaway slave, back to his master, who is Philemon. And Philemon is a leader in the church and that's gathering in their home. And Paul is sending a slave back with a letter. He's not going along with Philemon. He's sending him with a letter that he wrote to Philemon. And we have to keep in mind that the worst nightmare, the worst thing that can ever happen to a runaway slave is to, is to go back to their master, to be at their doorstep at the mercy of their master. That's the worst thing that can ever happen. There's a chance, there's a chance that Philemon might not respond well to what Paul is asking of him. There's a chance that Philemon might not take that under consideration. If that's the case, the safety and maybe even the life of Philemon is at, of Onesimus is at stake over here. Back then, they could be punished up to the point of execution. So there's a big risk involved here in what Paul is doing. It's a big risk involved in the life of Onesimus. And Philemon could make an example of Onesimus if that were the case, if he would do that. On the flip side, if Philemon had to respond in a godly way to what Paul is requesting of him, the way Philemon is going to treat Onesimus, even though he's a runaway slave, is going to look drastically different, right? 
and also the other slaves who are in his household, if he had more than one, their lives are going to be transformed too. And then the other leaders are the church members who have slaves. They're going to observe how Philemon has changed, and they're going to treat their slaves differently too. And not just that, all the friends and family members that Philemon has outside the church are going to have an influence of how Philemon is changing the way he treats his slaves. So there's a lot at stake over here in what's happening in this passage. And I, I cannot help but wonder how hard this was to, must have been for Paul to, to think about the ramifications of this letter. And we know in church history that about 150 years ago or later, after this incident happens over here, we see a change in how Christians were treating their slaves. We see um, at least three or four church fathers who were previously slaves who became church leaders. We see church leaders talking and writing about how we should treat our fellow brothers and sisters as, as equals in the body of Christ. We see a change in how this is seen. So we know that, that something good comes out of this letter. In my research, and the little I've studied, this, I think, is one of the first documents ever written to address this issue of human equality. It's a powerful letter. I wonder how often, you know, do we handle confrontation and conflict well? Because this letter is Paul urging and pleading with Philemon to change the way he thinks. This is a letter of correction with a lot of grace and a lot of love. And there's something to be said to say, hey, Philemon was a man who was open to correction. He was open to a change of heart, a change of thought. And looking at this passage today, I want us to look at this and say, hey, am I someone who's open to correction? Looking at the life of Philemon, the little we know from these verses, looking at his character, what can we learn? Am I open to correction? So if you want to put a title for my teaching today, it's the spiritual qualities of someone who's open to correction. And the truth is we all struggle with it. We all do. None of us over here is perfect to say, well, I'm, I'm always open to correction, right? We all have some kind of struggle. And I hope and pray that today as we look at God's word that he will reveal to us how we can grow in being open to correction. And, you know, when talking about difficult conversations, right, there are three factors that play a role when we have difficult conversations. The first one is relationship. We look at the relationship and we say things like, hey, you're my brother, you're my sister, I'm your father, I'm your, I'm your son, I'm your friend. And based on that friendship, I plead to you to reconsider how you're living your life, right? There's an element of a friendship or a relationship. The second factor that plays into having, when we have tough conversations is character. We plead to someone saying, hey, I know you to be someone who has a value for these things. You're someone who loves to do these things. And based on that, I'm pleading to you to consider how you're acting or living. And the third factor that plays when having difficult conversations is, is spiritual maturity. And so often, you know, I, I think we should be able to plead to one another saying, hey, you're not my family, you're not my brother or my sister, but I know you are someone, as someone who loves Jesus, who has walked in the faith for so long. And based on that reality, I plead with you to reconsider how you're living and how you're acting this way. And that is what Paul is doing here. Yes, Paul had a relationship with Philemon, but Paul is pleading to the knowledge that he has about his walk with God. In verse 4, I want to, this is a side note, but I want to throw this out there because this is a very beautiful passage. In verse 4, Paul says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. There's something to say when Paul says, I rejoice when I pray for you. Dear church, I want to ask you this morning, are you a joy to lead? 
I know it's a loaded question, but I want you to think about this. Are you a joy to lead? And I ask this to myself as well. Am I a joy to lead? Or am I someone who is a burden to my leaders? Am I someone who my leaders rejoice when they pray for me? And I want you to wrestle with that because I think we should all ask that question. I want you to discuss that with your gospel community, with your spouse, with your family. Say, am I, am I a joy to be around? Am I a burden? And I like the way Paul explains as to what that means. Because I think for each one of us, it's, it looks different as to why I can or cannot be a joy to lead. But Paul explains as to why is Philemon a joy to lead in verse 5. And my first point is the, a sign of someone who is open to correction is someone whose faith is evident. Your faith in Christ is evident. We see this in verse 5. And this is why Paul says that Philemon is a joy to lead. He says, because I hear of your, of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Paul is saying, I hear, I hear that you are someone who loves God, who loves God dearly, who has faith in God. And most likely Philemon was the one who told, sorry, Onesimus was the one who told Paul uh, this about, about Philemon, about his master. And Paul is saying, you are someone who loves God. And the word love here is agape. So if you've been to church more than three Sundays, you've heard that word before, right? Agape is the word which talks about this perfect love that God has towards us, that he would love us in spite of our sins and, and rescue us. And Paul is saying, you have that kind of love towards God and towards people around you. I thank God for that. I rejoice in knowing that. And not just that, he says, Philemon, you have faith in God. You have faith in God. And what does that mean? Faith in God means that he, Paul is saying, you have the conviction that God exists and that he's the creator and the ruler of all things, the provider and the bestower of eternal salvation through Christ. And Paul is saying, Philemon, you have that kind of faith. In relation to Christ, Paul is saying, you have a strong and welcome conviction or belief that Jesus is the Messiah through whom we obtain eternal salvation in the kingdom of God. Paul is saying, I love that about you, Philemon. You are a man who loves God and has faith. And he goes further. Paul says, Philemon, you have faith in the saints. And like, hey, Jonathan, wait a minute. I thought we don't put our faith in man, right? Well, it's true. We don't put our faith in man. We see this in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 1 through 5. It says, and I, when I came to you, this is Paul talking to the Corinthian church. He says, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to, to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. This is verse 5. So that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So Paul is saying, don't put your faith in man. So what is Paul commending about Philemon? What Paul is saying here is, he's saying, Philemon, you have faith in God and you also have faith in what God is doing in the lives of those around you. And that's what's commendable. That's what's beautiful. That's what makes, makes me happy when I pray for you. Paul is saying that, Philemon, when you, when you love people, you just don't love them, you also wait on them. You're patient with them. Because when we love people, when we love the people around us, we are gracious to them. But when we have faith that God is doing something in their lives, we are patient with them over and over again. When we love the believers around us, we forgive them. Yes, when we have faith that God is doing something amazing in their lives, we forgive them over and over and over again. And Paul is saying, Philemon, you're doing this beautifully. I love that you do this, and I praise God for that. Church, how often do we do that? 
How often do we have faith that God is doing something among the people in our midst? And the truth is, the word, the word saints here is not used lightly. I think so often we look at people and say, well, you are a, you're a saved sinner. But truly, yes, that's true. But we also are a saints who are being sanctified too. Do we see people among us who are weaker than us in their faith and say, God, you, thank you, God, that this person is in my life. And yes, it's hard. Yes, they are not getting what I'm saying. But I'm willing to be patient with them because, God, you are patient with me. I'm going to have compassion towards them because, God, you love them and you're working in them. I don't see it. I don't get it. But, God, I know you're doing something beautiful and I don't want to give up on them. Church, we cannot give up on people because we don't get along. We cannot give up on people because they don't see things the way you see things. You are maturing in your faith and so are they. There are areas in your life that you need to grow. Yes, and so do they. The more I am tenderhearted, the more I'm compassionate, the more I'm softened in my heart towards people around me who are different in their walk with God, the more my heart gets softened towards God so that God can correct me too. This is a sign of someone who is willing to accept correction. And Paul talks about this idea of a gospel-centered community, and this is one element of that, that we are able to receive and give correction in the body. So the first thing is, that someone who is in that place is someone who, whose faith is evident. You guys are with me still? All right. The, the next thing is that the second spiritual quality of someone who is open to correction is that your faith in Christ is not only evident, but it also has action. We see this in verse 6. And it says, I pray, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. And I want us to break this verse down because this is very, very important. This is one of the most, I would say, the most important verse or the theme in this, in this chapter. It says, the sharing of your faith. So this, just so you know, Paul is saying that, Philemon, you got to work on this. I'm praying that God will, will, will make you realize this more and more, that you'll open your eyes, that you'll grow in this, okay? He says that, the sharing of your faith. Now, the word sharing over here is that word that Danny kept saying over and over again a couple of weeks ago, the word koinonia, which means fellowship. So it actually reads that the fellowship of your faith, the fellowship of your faith may become effective. The word effective here is the word we get the word energy from, the Greek. So he's saying the, the, the sharing of your faith or the fellowship of your faith will become active, will become powerful, for the full knowledge or the precise and the correct knowledge of every good thing, of everything that is useful, everything that brings you joy, everything that, you, that, that defines who you are, everything that you are proud about, everything about you that brings value and meaning to you. He's saying everything that is in us. Now, this word here, us, this is the word that we get the word ego from. And this word is not used very flippantly in the Bible. This is the same word that is used when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, the I am. Is, that's the same word here. So when he says us, he's actually saying you or you all or y'all from the south. Okay? So he's saying every good thing that is in you, Philemon, that everything that God's given you is for the sake of what? Sake of Christ. Paul here is not shaming Philemon for being rich. Paul is not shaming Philemon for being someone who is wealthy or well-off. 
But Paul is asking him to check his heart. And Paul is saying, the more Philemon, the more you realize that everything that God has given you, everything that he's given you, everything that you have, and there's a good chance that Philemon was born wealthy. I don't know about how he became wealthy. But there's a good chance that, that Onesimus cannot change his life. It was really hard for someone like Onesimus to become a free man back in the day. We don't know if he was born into slavery, if he was captured and sold into slavery. We don't know what that story looks like. But Paul is saying, I'm not condemning you for being rich. I'm not saying that's wrong or evil. But I'm saying, Philemon, you have to understand that everything that God has given you, everything that you have is for the sake of the gospel. And the more you understand that, the more your faith becomes effective. The more your faith becomes true and living. It becomes active. And church, I think so often in the U.S., we throw money at issues. That's one way we feel like we should fix the world. We just throw money at stuff. And there's nothing wrong in that. There's nothing wrong in supporting a cause. But the way Christ, the way the Bible defines us to live in a Christ-centered community is that everything that you and I have is for the sake of the gospel. Amen? And the only way the Bible talks about privilege is if you're saved. That's it. In terms of the Bible, of, of Scripture, the only way it defines someone is, who has a privilege and someone who does not have privilege is someone who is saved and someone who is not saved. So if you are saved, if I am saved, we are privileged in the sight of the world, in God's eyes. We are privileged. And we have to say, God, I have life. I have two legs. I have two hands. I have a sound mind. God, what should I do to be used in your kingdom today? That should be a posture in everything that we, we do. Our communities that we live in should be real, should be authentic, where we truly love and serve one another with everything that God has given us, not just our money. Dear church, I really want to ask you, do you know how many people are broken around you? In your gospel communities, in your church, in your neighborhood, do you even know that? Or do you live in a bubble where you think everyone's fine? I think so often we get comfortable in doing the bare minimum and being the hands and feet of Jesus that we truly don't see who is hurting around us. Let's stop doing the bare minimum in being, in being a witness for Jesus. If you are someone who's like, I don't know. I don't know what's happening around me. I, I challenge you. I challenge you to walk down the streets on your day off. Walk down the streets and say, God, I'm going to be praying. I'm going to keep walking until you stop me, until you make me buckle and pray for, the, for, the, for, this, for this place, for this person I'm seeing over here. I challenge you to look at your phone, your contacts, and pray for everybody on your contact list. It'll wreck you because you have so many friends who don't know Jesus. I challenge you to talk to the people in your gospel community and say, how are you really doing? What's going on? And get to know people truly and care for one another. Paul is reminding Philemon that, man, you've been blessed. It's not for you. It's for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the kingdom. And dear friends, our testimony, our witness, our faith (laughs) becomes true becomes genuine and authentic when our lives look that way. I can preach you all day, but if my life does not show what it is to be truly a believer and live in that fellowship that God wants us to live like, it means nothing. It means nothing. So I challenge you to really consider how, how is your faith in action today. The last thing I want to talk about is your faith in Christ is not just evident, not just active, but also fragrant. And this is very unique to the Christian faith. It's not about works, right? 
It's not about just doing stuff together to show up in a house and eat food and talk and chat. It's about how we enrich one another, how we truly find joy and peace and comfort when we get together. And I see this in, in verse 7. It talks about this in verse 7. It says, this is Paul talking about Philemon. He says, for I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. And we see Paul talking about this in a similar fashion with other churches that he has been a part of. We see this in Romans 15, verse 32. He's, he's talking about the Roman church. He says, so that by God's will I may come back to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. We see this in the Corinthian church. He says in Corinthians 16, verse 18, he says, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. So Paul is recollecting people in churches that have been a refreshment to him. And the word refreshed over here is a beautiful word. That's the same word is used when, when Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, and he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The word rest, that's the same word that's used over here. It's a powerful word. It's a very powerful word. You know, the one person that comes to my mind when I think of someone who is refreshing in my faith is my mom. I can brag about my mom all day because I think she, she's, <laughs> she's awesome. And someday when I, when I grow up, I hope to be like her. <laughs> And if you have spent any time talking to my mom, you'll know what I'm talking about. That, you know, she's, she hasn't had an easy life growing up, and most of her life has been extremely hard for her. But you will never hear her talk about her problems. You'll hear her talk about how she talks to God about her problems. That's the way she talks to you when she's going through hard times. She serves in the pantry in Boise twice a week faithfully. And there are these women who hang out with her. They pick her up, they bring her back, and he, they shouldn't be legally driving, just so you know, those women who she hangs out with. They're wonderful old ladies, right? Sweet, wonderful people. And there's something about, about the way they interact. When I see them get together, and they are, they are amazing. Uh, they look like these little 15-year-old kids, right, who are just laughing and chatting and just full of joy. And I'm not, I'm not minimizing this, but the truth is this company of women who hang out, who have this joy, They'll have someone who just had a fall, who's hospitalized, someone who just passed away recently. This is kind of how their community looks like, because that's the stage of life they are in right now. But when they get together, when they hang out, there's so much joy and celebration of life and God's goodness among them. And I see my mom as that person who just brings life and joy, with no matter what they're going through, around, around those people. And dear friends, I, I want to ask you this morning, are you someone who has the fragrance of Jesus in you? When people talk to you, what do they hear from you? What do they leave with? Do they leave with just you talking about your problems, your worries, and your frustration? Are they saying, man, this person is going through hell, but I hear them talking about how much they, they are spending time with God, crying before the, before the Lord and in His Word, and I'm hearing that they are strong in their faith, that God is drawing them closer to them. How often do you hear that? Dear church, I, I, I want us to be a people who would say, man, life is right now really hard. I don't know what to do, but when I pray, God is encouraging me. God is, God is challenging me to not grow weary. I read His Word, and His Word encourages me. I thank God that He is with me. Life is extremely hard. I don't know what to do right, but I know God is with me. God is my strength. He's my salvation. He's my song. That is what we should be saying. That's what we should sound like 
to one another. You know, so often, the, I think, in my life at least, I know that when I haven't spoken to God enough about my problems, I talk to other people about my problems. And I've been more intentional to say, God, I want to talk to you first. I want to go to you first. I want to pray. I want to cry before you first before I tell people what I'm going through. Because when I talk to you first, I have clarity as to what I'm going through. Dear friends, the truth is we can either have the fragrance of Jesus when we spend time with Jesus or we bear the stench, the stench of the world. We, bear, we, we carry the stench of our worries with us. So church, what do you smell like this morning? What do you smell like? Do you smell like Jesus? Or do you smell like the world? Do you smell like your worries? Do you smell like your problems? The body of Christ the gospel-centered community is a place where we don't hide from our problems, from our, from our burdens, but we talk in encouraging one another and saying, God is working in my heart. I'm learning how to trust him more in what I'm going through. That's how we should look like. And this is the image of what a Christ-centered community should look like. So I want to ask you, brothers and sisters in Christ, how open are you to correction? How open are you to receiving correction? How gentle are you with people who struggle in their faith? I'm not saying that you should compromise your walk, compromise what you believe, but how gentle are you in how you handle people around you who are weak in their faith? And how much do you love people? How much is your faith in action? How much does your faith really show in the way you live and treat people? And those around you, what do they see in you? What, do you? what do they hear from you all the time? I challenge you to ask your spouse. Say, hey, what do you think? Am I someone who's just draining you all the time? Who's not speaking out of faith? Who's always worrying about my life, about my safety, about my future? Or am I someone who's running to God and sharing with you what God is doing in my heart as I struggle with this? Am I uplifting? Am I, am I pulling you down every time? The band can come up if they are ready. And if this is a time for you to examine your hearts, I want you to take a minute to close your eyes and maybe think about what you heard. And I want you to ask yourself, what is God teaching you this morning? What is God showing you from his word this morning? How is he convicting you? And how are you fighting back? Because the initial urge that we all have as human beings is to fight back, to justify, to minimize to rationalize what we are going through. And I want you to say, God, I don't want to do that. Stop me from doing that right now. God, please, I don't want to justify my lack of submission to your word. God, I pray for humility. I pray for brokenness. And as you shake us, as you sift us, God, I pray that you'll make us realize that we don't change because you are with us. And our faith grows stronger because you are with us. Help us to understand what it is to be a true Christ-centered community, a Christ-centered church. May our faith truly be evident, God. May our faith have action. And may our lives be a fragrance to you and to those around us. In your precious name we pray. Amen.
Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope it was a blessing to you. Please visit revolution22.org to find out more information about our church. We remind you to continue to value community. We pray that God's word has drawn you closer to him and that you may continue to love God and love others. Thank you.